right, y'all. You guys ready for the word? Here we go. Let's get it going. You guys got your Bibles this morning? I, I'm being, I'm getting real nerdy in this. I'll, I'll share this with you here because I'm, I told you, I made a joke last week about color coding. Do you guys, anybody like get real nerdy and do like color highlighting in your Bible? Am I the only one? Chuck's, Chuck's that way too. If you ever look at Pastor Chuck's Bible, I mean, it looks like a, a, a kindergartner got a hold of it and just scribbled with every color under the sun. <laughs> I'm practicing that too. So I'm trying to kind of uh, get my head around it. So you can see it looks a little bit like that. You've got pinks and purples and greens. And I'm trying to make some sense of it. Because sometimes if I just kind of look at the black ink on the white pages, sometimes it kind of like gets a little bit lost. So that's why I need some help with that. Um, go to Second Chronicles chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally okay. There's likely one in the pew back in front of you. We're going to try to get it up on the screen as well, but I really want you to be tracking with me on this story. So grab a Bible. Um, if you have an app on your phone, that's fine too. Uh, we're, get, we're wrapping up a, uh, the story of, from ancient history. And here's the cool thing about ancient history is that in God's economy, uh, there is really no ancient history. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his same character, the same things that he says and does in the past, that's his same heart for you and I. So this is why we study ancient history in the Bible. Is not just because we can learn cool facts and go and impress our friends. It's because we want to know the character of God. We want to know what's he like? What is God like? What did he do? How, how was he good and faithful 3,000 years ago? And how, what difference does that make to me? Because the more we understand about God, the easier it is to trust God now with whatever we're going through. So that's why we review the past is because it helps position us for the, for the future. We're convinced that God is going to be faithful now. Why? Because we have 3,000 year history of him being faithful every single time. So these are stories of God's faithfulness in spite of human failure. And that's a cool thing because I need to know that. I need to know that God's going to be faithful even when I totally blow it. Amen? Anybody need to know that? I'm glad that God is not like me. I'm glad that God does not have bad days. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't mess up. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can depend upon him more than I can depend upon you, more than I can depend upon my wife, more than I can depend upon myself. God is much more dependable. So I'm going to anchor myself in him more than anything else. So we're going to look at that, 2 Chronicles chapter 15. We are looking at the story of a king whose name is Asa. That's a cool name, by the way. I would recommend that name. If you're, if you're looking at having children, more children, which I'm not, my time is up. I got a flip here. I got a couple things going on. All right. You guys okay? All right. You guys with me? All right. If you need to get coffee, run, get it. Come on back because we're moving through this. This is good stuff. All right. Um, Okay, so last week, I, I want to give a little bit of a recap because some of you were not here. I know, Jim, you said you weren't here. This is, I, I, I need to go back and do about a five-minute recap of this. 
Asa is a king of the of part of ancient Israel. Ancient Israel in, in, in this chapter where we are has split. They had a civil war and they split into two territories. There's a bunch of tribes up in the north that go by the name the Kingdom of Israel, and there's a few tribes in the southern part of the country that go by the name the Kingdom of Judah. So these are brethren that, you know, they were, they were at one time, they were one country, civil war happens. Now they're split a king up here and a king down there. Some, and, and the Bible tells us a lot about the history of all of these Kings one after the next, it tells us, you know, this King and it was, it was, it was a King of Israel. This King was, and it tells us often that the King was either good thumbs up or he was bad. And according to the Bible, the kings were good, not because of what they accomplished or how much money they had or how popular they were or any of those things. They were judged by the writer of the Bible by this phrase, they did right in the eyes of the Lord. Or if it was a wicked king, the Bible would say that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So at the end of their life, that's kind of what the writer of this would say. So the kings kind of had a, you know, they had a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Asa is one of these kings that the Bible says he did good and right in the eyes of the Lord. His father wasn't that way. So he kind of stepped in and he, did, he began to do some really incredible things. The Bible says that he, um, he, he went head on tearing down false idols, uh, these, these shrines, these, these pagan practices. He was trying to clean house and restore the nation of Judah back to committed, folk, committed, committed worship of the one true God only. None of these other false idols, none of these other false gods. So we use the word impressed that God was impressed with Asa. He looked around and Asa was doing all these incredible things. God says, man, I like that guy. He's doing the right thing. He was impressed. And so God did what? Blessed. Nope, that's not the right word. God gave them rest. And the Bible says that for 10 years, the nation of Judah had rest, the season of rest. That's good. That's good because in the ancient Near East, 700, 800 BC, you didn't get rest very often. More often than not, your neighbors were trying to come in and take over, steal, destroy, loot, whatever it is. So for 10 years of rest is a good thing. So God was impressed. He gave rest. After rest comes what? The test. And God says, I'm going to test Asa to see what's in his heart. It wasn't a trick. God's not like that. God's not trying to trip him up, but God wants to know, do I really have Asa's heart? So God sends in an army to come in and bring a threat uh, to, to, uh, to the people of Judah. Chariots are there, thousands upon thousands. One translation says a million people, a million men from Egypt are marching upon this small nation of Judah. And what do you do when you're outnumbered and you're outgunned and the threat is real? Bible says that Asa called upon the name of the Lord. Did he pass the test? Y'all say yes. Yes, you do. That's what you do. You know, whenever you're faced with something outside of your control, what do you do? Do you, you know, you call upon the name of the Lord. You seek God's face and say, God, help us. And that's what Asa did. And God, of course, comes to his rescue, defeats this nation from Egypt. And because of that, because he passed the test that followed the season of rest, God then blessed the nation of Judah. 
He gives a prophetic word through one of the prophets. And the prophetic word, the prophet encourages Asa. Don't give up. You can see this at the beginning of 15. The spirit of God comes upon Azariah. He's the prophet. He comes to this king. And he says, listen to me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. That's probably a word for you and I too. The Lord is not with you unconditionally, church. The Lord will not bless you unconditionally. He is not a great big grandfather in the sky who will overlook everything and just dole out his mercy and his love and his blessing on you no matter what. So the prophet says to Asa, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, if you ignore him, if you leave him locked up on Sunday morning just for that one hour when you go to church and live the way that you want the rest of the week, he's going to forsake you as well. Those are hard words to hear. But this prophetic word comes to Asa and, and says, Asa, listen, he's with you when you're with him. Goes on to say, but as for you, Asa, this is the prophet saying to this to the king, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. And Asa looks around and says, what's the work? You know, I've already, I've already defeated this million man army from Egypt. What else is left to do? And he begins to look around and he realizes that there's still places of immorality still in his nation. There are still shrines that have been erected to false gods. There's still idol worship happening all around. He had started that practice 10 years ago, fell into a season of rest. God says, okay, listen, I'm going to bless you, but you need to know, do I really have your heart, Asa? Because the work that you started is not done. And so Asa, listen to this, verse 8, chapter 15. When Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to pay attention to his response to the prophetic word. Now, Asa could have taken offense to this. We often do. We often take offense when we hear a prophetic word about what we're doing or not doing. He could have said, how dare you, Azariah? Who do you think you are? Telling me to not finish the work, telling me to take, don't you know who I am? The king of Judah, we just defeated a million man army from Egypt. But it says that instead he received the word and he takes courage and he gets to work. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin from the towns. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front. So he goes to work and he finishes a total cleansing in his land. He assembled all of the people from all over. He says, guys, let's come together. God's been so good. He has blessed us. Let's come together and worship him. Large numbers then come from all over the nation because they saw, the Bible says they, had, they saw that the Lord his God was with him. We live in a culture that's all about influence. What do you call someone that has an Instagram account with a million followers? What do you call them? Influencers. I'm a social media influencer. That's like their job description, right? It's like, what are you famous for exactly? Have you done anything? Are you a movie star? Are you a musician? Are you a writer? No, I'm a social media influencer. 
because I have a million people who follow me on Instagram and like my posts. We live in a culture that is just obsessed with influencing, influencing, influencing. But according to God's word, the, the best way to influence the culture around you is to be full of the presence of Jesus. To have the favor of the Lord resting upon you. That's what men and women are drawn to. The presence of God in your life. They saw that the Lord, his God was with them. So they come together, they assemble together. Asa takes courage, gets to work with action, becomes a person of influence, which leads to blessing. End of 15, they entered into a covenant. This is the time of blessed. So from impressed to rest to test to blessed, this is that season of rest. The Bible says that all the people entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. If you don't know what a covenant is, a covenant is sort of a, it's a, it's a promise of the heart. It's an agreement. It's not a contract. But think of it like, you know, when you put a wedding band on your husband or your wife's hand, you don't have a legal contract with your husband or wife. You don't have long documents drawn up that spells it out. You don't do that on your wedding day. Wait, what do you do? You stand before them and say, I promise to love you with all of my heart for all of my days. And in return, you promise that to me. And I'm going to walk forward in a relationship of trust with you. I want to give not 50%. You know, good marriages aren't 50-50. Joe, are they? 100-100. I'm going to walk forward giving 100% of my heart to you. And I'm going to believe that you're going to give 100% of yourself to me. That's what a covenant is. Covenant doesn't have a scorecard or a legal contract checking off the boxes. A covenant is the giving of yourself fully to a relationship with another person. So the Bible says that they, the people, all the people of God, under Ace's leadership, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with, the Bible says, with all their heart and their soul. And apparently they had not done this before. They kind of were half-hearted followers of the Lord, you know? So something about Ace's leadership, they says, okay, we get it. We get it. Let's go all in, King Asa. We've, 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 we've seen what God's do. We've seen how, how the season of rest, God, God has brought blessing to us. But let's go all in and seek God with all of our heart and all of our strength. And so they make this covenant together. Verse 15, they sought God eagerly. Listen to this. He was found by them. Isn't that cool? Just like God promised, just like he said, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. And sure enough, the people began to say, listen, you know, and some of these, some of them may not have worshiped God for a long time because remember, they're, in, they're still in a culture that is surrounded by false idols and false gods and all this other kind of stuff, you know, just like we are. We're in, we're in, we're in a post-Christian culture. We've got all kinds of other worldviews competing for our attention. But they made a commitment. We're going to seek the God of our ancestors with all of our heart. And they did that, and he was found by them. I want to know, what, it, what did that mean for them? 
for that they found God. I bet they'll have some stories to tell. I don't know. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. At the end of this chapter says, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So this story that we just read takes place in about the 15th year of Asa's reign. And it chapter ends with the 35th year of Asa's reign. So math nerds, how long of a period of rest did they have? 20 years. Remember the story started with having a small period of rest before the test came, 10 years, now they've got 20. So it's God says, look, I wanna give you a double portion of rest. I love what I'm seeing, God says. I love what I'm seeing in your hearts. I love what I'm seeing, this total, total, you know, covenant promise, this covenant consecration. I wanna double the kind of blessing that you already had of rest. So for 20 years, they had rest. But in chapter 16, this is going to repeat itself. There will be another test, another reaction, another prophetic word, another response. It would be so great if the story ended right here in chapter 15. That'd be awesome. Like, let's end on this high note, you know, let's end with a win. You know, let's look, if we could just pause the game right here and we just scored two touchdowns and a pick six and we're up and it's just the crowd is roaring wouldn't it be great just to pause it right there and say all right game over you know it's like halftime or it's like this is halftime and there's like another half to play and God says listen I want you to finish well I want you to finish the game well King Asa and this is a hard word to give because this is just the reality of the human condition is that no matter where we are we still have to finish well no matter the kind of blessing that we've experienced, the high that we've been on, God says, no, there's still, you still got to finish well. So let's jump in and let's read this. Chapter 16. All that was just a review. It was good though, right? I hope it was good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. The question is this, what happened in those 20 years? That's the question that I've been wrestling with. Think of that like halftime. Can you imagine if halftime comes and you are the reigning, who are the reigning Super Bowl champions? Who is it? Chiefs, is it, was that, or is that two years ago? I don't even know. Buccaneer, that's it, Tampa Bay, that's right, Tom Brady. So Tampa Bay, imagine they've done the first half. They're up by like, you know, three touchdowns, halftime comes. Just imagine if halftime comes, you know, and they just go in, take off their cleats, take off their jerseys. We're going to climb in the hot tub. Man, what, what, what a long half it's been. Y'all, somebody bring me a beer. Somebody bring me whatever it is. We're just going to kick back and relax, you know. And the coach comes in. The coach says, what are you guys, Brady, what are you guys doing? Why are you not in your jersey? Why are you not, why are you not suited up? We've got another game to play. There's a danger in comfort becoming complacency. In your life, there's a danger in comfort becoming complacency. Comfort's good. Who doesn't like comfort? 
Man, I do. I want like five pillows around me and two blankets. I want the, the, the air to be like 72.5 degrees. You know, if it's the slightest bit hot, I'm getting out of bed. I'm turning it down. I love comfort. I won't, I won't deny it. But it's so easy for comfort to become complacency. Complacency means, you know what? We just don't care enough to do anything about the situation that I'm in. I've lost my edge. I've lost my game. It's one thing to be comfortable. It's another thing to fall asleep in complacency. And this is the danger in this 20-year span between 15 and 16. Something has taken root in Asa's heart that is a real threat to his life and his spiritual life. So let's jump in. Verse 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel. Remember I said that Israel was up in the north. These, they used to have a be together. Now there's a civil war. So Asa's down here. Baasha is the king up in the north. So 20 years later, their friends to the north go up against Judah. In other words, they begin to encroach upon Judah's territory and fortify Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. They go to the border, they set up camp, they mobilize a military force, and, they, and King Basha, for whatever reason, puts a halt to anybody immigrating in or leaving the nation of Judah. It's like, it's like if the president of Mexico sent a force up to our border in Texas and prevented any kind of transport or commerce or trucks or any of those things from coming or going into the United States. Basically, this is some serious flexing and a military um, power, power struggle. So here's what Asa does. And remember, this is the same one that 20 years ago he has faced what one translation says, a million people, a million men with chariots from Egypt. Not nearly as big of a threat now with just Uncle Basha and his little army who are blocking our roads. Yet, look at what he does. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple. Whose temple? Whose silver and gold? So he raids the treasury of his own palace and he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. Aram is a neighboring country over here. Who was ruling in Damascus. And this is what Asa said. He said, king, he said, Ben-Hadad, let there be a, a treaty between you and me. He's looking for allies, right? He's buying friends now. Who said, uh, let there be a treaty between me. He said, as there was between my father and your father... See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Baasha so that he will withdraw from me. So it's almost as if when this happens in Mexico, President Biden goes to the Federal Reserve, writes out a check for $50 billion, and calls up Great Britain. Great Britain, break your treaty with Mexico. Here's some money. Will that help? So Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered, he names them all off, 
So Ben-Hadad says, sure, you're going to pay me some money? You bet. And he sends his army down, and his army punches some of the, Israel's cities in the nose. When Baasha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Hey, seemed to work all right. Hmm. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and the timber that Baasha had been using. With him, he built up, and he names a couple other cities. He's like, hey, this is kind of a win-win. Not only did I kick Uncle Basha out, he left all of his supplies there so we can go and grab them all and use them to build something else up. Not too bad. And King Asa just puffs himself up and says, problem solved. Or was it? So, 20 years later, that was the next test. And this time, the reaction was different. There was no calling upon the name of the Lord. There was no seeking the Lord's face. There was no crying out for deliverance. There was just complacency and a failure to take God at his word. Let's raid God's piggy bank and buy our solution for this. And just like before, God says, I'm gonna send another prophetic word. So he does. Verse seven, at that time, Hanani the seer, it's another word for prophet, they see in the spiritual realm. Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Aram was technically one of Israel's enemies and Judah's enemies. They've had their own issues with Aram in the past, assaulting them and invading them. And the prophetic word comes and says, listen, because you relied on him, he's escaped, he's gone. We're not the Cushai, in other words, we're not the Egyptians and Libyans, a mighty army with a great number of chariots and horsemen. 20 years ago, Aram, don't, or Asa, don't you remember this? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And pay, ver, pay attention to verse 9. If you, if you write in your Bible, then write in your Bible and underline this verse. If you highlight it, then highlight it. If you can screenshot it on your phone and make it your background, then do it. For the eyes, this is a prophetic word to the king, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. In other words, they roam throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Asa, don't you get it? God is searching, searching for someone to show himself strong to. God's got the resources of heaven at his disposal, ready to come to your aid. And he's just looking, where can I, where can I find a heart that's committed to me that I can show myself strong? 
you have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. He's not known war for 20 years. 30 years of his reign, if you count the previous story. And this is the point when Asa should have fallen to his face. The problem with complacency, though, is that it breeds pride, doesn't it? We find that when we become complacent, we become very proud and very arrogant. And this is the issue with Asa. You know, he looks around and says, God has blessed me. Can't you see the blessing around me? Ten years of peace and no war? God has given me wisdom to know how to handle these situations. I don't need to call on the name of the Lord like I did back then. I'm not desperate like I was. God has given me a vision and he's given me leadership skills to use. What I'm doing must be right. Look at all the blessing. And that's what pride leads us to. Asa should have gone the other way, you know, because the, 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 the issue for the issue, the test is the same test. Like I told you before, the same test. The issue at stake is this one question. Who do I trust to meet my needs? Who do I trust to handle this crisis in my life? And in the first test, he answered correctly. I have to trust God to meet this crisis in my life because I can't, and you can't, and you can't, and you can't. God is the only one who can really meet my needs in this situation. That's the right answer to the test. By the way, that's the, that's the fundamental question of human existence. That's the number one question that you're ever going to ask yourself for the rest of your life. Who meets your needs? It's either yourself or someone else or someone outside of, your, outside of us. That's it. You're either going to look to another person to meet all of your needs, another relationship to meet all of your needs. You're going to look for it in, in, inside, and you're going to sort of pull yourself up and say, I'm strong enough to take care of myself. I don't need anyone. But you're going to find that really doesn't work very well, very long. And ultimately, you have to come to the place where you realize that I cannot meet my own needs. It's not possible. I cannot prevent myself from getting a horrible disease. My dad died of cancer this summer. He was the most incredible man in the world, strong, full of, full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, multiple degrees, goes around the world teaching. But can he stop himself from getting a brain tumor? No, he cannot. Could Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, worth billions of dollars, spend any of that to preserve his own life several years ago? No. Because the ability to meet our own needs fundamentally is not inside of us. We can't do it. We have to rely on someone bigger and greater and stronger who understands and knows the one who made us. And that's the fundamental question that Asa has to answer is, who do I trust to handle this conflict? He answered right the first time. He does not answer right the second time. The second time he says, I can take care of this myself. And the problem is that comfort in those 20 years has eroded his dependency upon the Lord. And that's a danger of comfort, complacency. It erodes our dependency. We feel that we are no longer fully dependent upon God. Okay, so how does he respond? This word comes. He should have fallen on his face, should have fallen down, should have cried out to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry, you're right. What have I done? 
What have I done? I have, but he doesn't do that. Verse 10, Asa was angry with the seer because of this. Oh, it gets worse. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. Man, did I, did I hit a nerve or what? Poor guy gets thrown in prison for this word. At the same time, Asa brutally oppresses, oppressed some of the people. Wow, what a difference 20 years can make. There's no longer blessing and peace in the land. There's no longer rest in the land. There's now oppression from the top down. Here's the bad news. There are situations coming that are beyond our control and your control. That's the bad news. If it hasn't happened this week, it will in the future. Do I sound like a prophet of doom? Terrible things are coming beyond your control. That's the reality of it. You're not in control of your world. That's the bad news. Here's the good news, though. God is waiting to show himself strong in your life. He's waiting to do that. He's not just like waiting, passively sleeping on the couch, waiting for us to come and jab him in the dad, wake up. No, Bible says his eyes roam the earth. He's looking, actively seeking out. What situation can I be a way maker in today? That's what they're doing. Who can I show myself strong to today? Who can I be a, a, a healer for today? Who can I be a provider for today? Who has a heart that wants, to, wants me and desires for my goodness to show up? He's actively looking for that. That's the good news. And the cool thing is that good news kind of negates the bad news. It doesn't matter if there's bad things around the corner. Why? Because God is good and he wants to show himself strong in my situation. Thank you. That is an amen. That's good stuff. All right. Let me give you some takeaways and we're done with this. All right. We're going to land this plane. Number one is this. Oh, by the way, this is interesting. The events, this is sad. The events of Asa's reign, verse 11, from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So it tells us where else they're written. In the 39th year, so three years after this, King Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And this is the most heartbreaking line right here. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord. It's so easy for disappointment and rebuke to lead to bitterness. And a seed of bitterness took root in Asa's heart that he could not recover from. Was his salvation question? No, I don't think so, because the Bible says that he, you know, was committed to the, to the Lord. But he missed out on something that the Lord wanted to do for him. Do you know why I believe that? You know what Asa, you know what his name means? Healer. 
I believe that his life was meant to exhibit the God who heals, the God who delivers. And he had an opportunity here to receive that from the Lord, but pride and bitterness stood in the way. That's heartbreaking. Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Some takeaways real quick. Number one, God loves you. God loves you enough. God, God loves you. God loves you enough to test your faith. But I had your faith tested. Come on. God loves you enough to test your faith. You're like, you're thinking, what, what, what does that mean? I don't want my faith tested. You ever tried to cook with cookware that's not been fired first? You ever made a pot from clay on a spinning wheel and let it dry out in the sun? Put some food in it, put it in your oven, you know what'll happen to that? It explodes. It's not been fired, it's not been tested. God loves you enough to test your faith and refine your faith, he does. Second takeaway is this, God is waiting to help you win. He is, I promise you, he's waiting to help you win. He's not sitting on the sidelines, just staring and glaring at you, waiting for you to figure it out, no. He's got the playbook, he's got the radio in his ear, he's calling the plays, he's, he's, he's waiting to help you win. So we got to finish well, right? I don't want to be like Asa. I don't. I don't want to be like that. I don't want my rest, seasons of blessing to lead to complacency, which caused me to forget that edge that God has called me to. Because as sure as I do, it'll lead to pride and to bitterness and to missing out on what God has for me. All right? Hey, y'all stand up. Musicians, come on up. Praise team, come on up. Mm. I want to challenge you with that. God is looking. He wants to help you win this week. But you know what? It begins with a covenant relationship with God. If you don't have that, this is a good day to begin that. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry for trying to run my own life. I'm sorry for trying to meet my own needs all this time. Only you, Lord, can meet my needs. And I need you to come and to do that. I need you to take over. You know the old song, not the old song, relatively new song, Jesus Take the Wheel? A lot of truth in that. Problem is we tend to grab the wheel back from Jesus when he takes us somewhere we don't want to go. 
You need to give Jesus a wheel, but you need to get out of the passenger side. Crawl in the back seat. Or some of you need to get out of the back seat and go to the trunk and open the trunk and climb in. (laughs) That's what the Christian faith is. It is getting out of the driver's seat and allowing the one who designed us to get in and take control and put us where we need to be. You can do that. We'll pray with you to do that if you've not done that before. That's what a covenant relationship is with God. That's what brings blessing and rest and peace. Testing too? Yes, of course, you're going to be tested. I'd rather be tested and tried by fire from God than tested and tried by the fire of the world who wants to chew me up and spit me out. So, Father, we just pray for your spirit, Lord. We pray that you will find hearts that are receptive to you, hearts that are fully committed to you, Lord. Your eyes are looking for that. So, Lord, we just say yes to you this morning, Father. I pray for your church, Lord, that we will finish well, that we will run well, that we will fight well, that the seasons of rest you have us in will not lead to complacency and a lack of dependency on you, God. Jesus.